gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I am here with my beautiful wife, Catherine, otherwise known as Kate. Real quick, before we go over the topic, Kate, do you want to talk about your name? No. She used to go by Cat, and I met her, and she's like, my name is Cat. We met on Match.com. So, kind of like a free commercial for Match.com. We met on Match.com. She told me her name was Cat. I did not like Cat because <laughs> I'm a dog guy. So, hey, I named her. I named her Kate. So, the world knows her, knows her as Kate from well, the TV show. Actually, you can tell how someone knows me by how they refer to me. So... In the electrical industry, where I worked for over 20 years, I was Cat. In my family, I'm Catherine. At my current job, I'm Catherine. But I can always tell if somebody knows me through the television show or the kennel because they call me Kate. Because it's only you guys. And that's why when you have something <laughs> and it's yours, you name it. Well, okay. <laughs> so, her name is Kate. Podcast people. Kate Fuller. There yes, we go. Yes, yes. So, I already had the kennel. When I started dating Kate. And it's funny because we had a topic come up. We have we have training dogs in right now. And I thought today we'd talk about the misconception of people in training methods and how they're applied to dogs. And the best person to bring this up and talk about this would be my loving, adoring, incredibly lucky wife, Kate. So Kate... We do our training, whether it would be for obedience or it would be for gun dog training. We start with what would be called a prong collar and then transition to an e-collar. And there are always many misconceptions out there because people don't understand how training is applied. And they don't under, even, even understand how these collars work. No. Um, and there are a variety of training methods and there are a variety of training tools. And of course, the key is to choose the method that works with the tools and a trainer who knows how to use them properly. So we're not saying there's only one way. We're not even saying that there's only one right way or anything like that. But you have to have the three things working in conjunction, you know, picking a method, picking, you know, tools for that for that method and picking a trainer that uses them properly. Because, yes, an e-collar can be used improperly. Anything can be used improperly. Um, I, you took a phone call some time ago, or maybe it was an email about somebody who was discussing how, you know, an e-collar is cruel because it can be used to abuse a pet. And your point was a rock could be used to yep. abuse a pet. That was actually someone, it was, on, it was on a Dog Talk Live, and the person was in Ireland, and they were okay. talking about how e-collars are not legal in the British Islands, in Ireland. And he said they are looked at as being 
abusive. And I said, well, they're not when they're used properly. And he understood that. He's like, sure. no, I understand that. And I said, you can abuse a dog with a rock. Do right. we do we outlaw rocks? Right. So moral of the story, picking the, those three things in the right combination, you know, right method for your choosing, you know, right tools for it, right trainer, getting those things all in conjunction will yield the best result. Because yes, anything can be done wrong. Anything can be done in an abusive manner. Things can be too heavy handed. Things can be too light-handed and completely ineffective, you know, like the old, no, 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 little Johnny, don't do that. That doesn't work, you know. So picking those things together will yield the best result. But as far as e-collars go, um, yes, before I met Jeff, I was of the mindset that they were inhumane. Shock collar. Shock collar, right. That's what people refer to them as. And I think you get that impression because you read about it in, like, media, you know, online, on websites, things like that. Um, and you hear these, you know, horror stories about people who have done bad things with them. Um, so yeah, I came into it thinking it was not, not a training tool that I would like or would approve of using or anything like that. Um, and then basically I got educated. I, you know, actually learned how to use one. I actually tried it on myself to know what it is we're dealing with here. You know, you put it on your arm and you realize it's really not what it's made out to be. Um, and once you've learned how to use it properly, you know, in a proper manner, after you've been trained by somebody who knows how, there's, there's nothing to it. And they're actually extremely useful. And if, as if you hunt, um, it's, it's pretty essential. I mean, it's for the safety of the dog. You don't want your dog, you know, bolting out there when people are shooting or something like that. So you actually don't want a dog to bolt out and it should be a safety concern with you if you have your dog near a road right. if you take your dog for a walk and they would get off a leash or be in the yard going to the bathroom you want them to be so that they will come back you will have a recall and honestly the only way to have that foolproof in my opinion is to use an electric collar now the term shock collar comes from these collars when they were first made and you know what it probably was a shock collar probably didn't have the sophistication or the ability to use. And I want to stop the podcast just for one second and realize and talk to the husbands out there and say that this is a triumph for me because my wife just told me I was right at something. <laughs> so if you can appreciate how wonderful of a moment this is for me, guys, just live it up. You someday, someday maybe your wife you will tell you that you are right too. There is a chance. So anyway, back to shock collars. Yes, the first ones could have been where they weren't humane. The current models, honestly, should be called an electric stimulation collar, but it's too long of a sentence. It is a trickle that you feel of electricity on yourself if you put it on. And it is less than, I'm from the, the era where we would take a 9-volt battery and stick our tongue to it. Kids do not do that, although it won't hurt you. But it is less than that as far as a correction or a shock to the dog. So it is something that you literally, if you put it on yourself, you kind of look at the dog and you go, really? Yeah, it's like you're being a really big baby here. We had a mat. We bought it, I think, on Chewy.com or PetSmart, something like that that we put on our kitchen counters that had three levels. And it was the same kind of concept. It was to keep the cat up from jumping on the counter or to keep pets, like dogs, from counter surfing. Or to use for 
when your kid was leaning on you could turn it on <laughs> it was, and you needed a good laugh. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we have some pranksters in the house who thought that was funny too. But it was the same exact thing. You would forget it was turned on and you would lean on it. And all of a sudden you were kind of like, oh, <laughs> it was like static electricity basically and then some. But that was really about it. So, you know, if, if you're working with a trainer who uh, properly uses the tool and shows you how to properly use the tool, it's in no way abusive. And in fact, it's pretty much a safety feature for keeping your dog under control. And that's what people don't understand. It, it kind of, it comes down to with any correction, whether you're using a pinch collar or you're using a, a, a electric collar, you teach a command first, then you're teaching the dog how to turn off the correction, how to not be corrected. And you're doing your training where you're giving the dog 80 to 90% positive reinforcement and praise, carrot. And then the collar is the negative correction, stick. So carrot and stick. But you're making it really wide where you've got what would be considered a big stick for your correction. But you're also going to give them a ton of praise so it makes it easy for them to make the proper choice. And, you know, if you, you know, listen to a podcast for a trainer or you have your dog professionally trained, that person should be able to show you exactly how to do that and exactly what they mean by that. It's not go to Cabela's, buy one off the shelf, put it on your dog, crank it up on high and hit the button every single time your dog does something you don't like. That's terrible. That's a terrible idea. And you can really destroy your dog's behavior with that. You don't want to do that. Um, people have to be trained how to use them just like the pet has to be trained with it. So... Um, having the right person or tool to teach you how to use that is critical. And I talked to someone the other day and they questioned the use of an electric collar. And they said that they didn't know if they wanted that, uh, that used in their pet. And I told them, well, you shouldn't use me as a trainer then. I know what I'm doing. I have full confidence in what I'm doing. I've worked with now probably close to a thousand dogs and they all leave happy and they all leave under control and they all leave with my confidence knowing that they're going to listen and they're going to be safe. Mm -hmm. They're going to be safe because they're not going to run on the street and get hit by a car. They're not going to jump up on someone and hurt them with bad behavior so that they're put in a position, their family's put in a position where the animal might have to be put down. My thing is training them so that they can be successful, that they're happy, they're in structure and they're safe. Mm -hmm. And we show the people exactly what we do with that. And that's very important. We don't just train the dog and then say, oh, go buy a collar now and go home and good luck. We show you what we've done and how to properly use this tool, this collar, you know. So um, it would be of no value if we simply figured out how to do it and get your dog under control and then didn't show the client how. So there's kind of that pass off. We, we get it going and then we show the client exactly how to achieve those same results. And if you're consistent with it, that's the key. Just like with children, being consistent with it, you'll definitely be successful. Your dog will be well-behaved, under control and safe. Oh, I tell people when they take their dogs home after obedience uh, training or after gun dog training, when you have something like an electric collar the dog's been trained with, you're going to use it a lot because they're not going to believe that they have to listen to you as the owner. And the frame of mind I try to get them in is use it a lot and you won't have to use it again because, or very little, you may have, you, you are going to have to use it again, but you're going to have to use it very little. But if you are being consistent 
and constantly correcting on the first time. So the dog doesn't listen. You tell it to sit. The dog doesn't listen. You correct it with electric, uh, the electric collar as well as the command, sit, pushing the button at the same time. Do that consistently every time. The dog's going to understand, okay, the game is the same here at home. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's definitely that transition to them learning that they don't just respect you, Jeff, the trainer. The rules are the same now with my my loving mommy and daddy at home who who used to let me do all sorts of naughty things. Um, so yeah, in the beginning you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so awful. I feel so heavy handed with them. But if you if you do a good dose of the training up on the front end where they understand that the the jig is up, there is no more game. We're not messing around here anymore. You'll be able to taper down because they're going to get it. They're going to get the memo, and things are going to get much better for everybody. So that's going to be it for this. Again, talk to your trainer. If their methods are not what is for you, find a different trainer. We, we tell people that all the time. This is how we train. If this doesn't work for you, we're not going to take offense to it. So make sure you're checking with people on the front end. In our next segment, we're actually going to talk about the sit command and using an e-collar. So stay tuned for that after this. Six months since we started the podcast, and I want to thank everyone that has made us so successful. We've started a Facebook group, and it is called the Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast Group. Please invite five friends, just five, to that group, and we will grow our podcast as well as that page. The page is there, and that group is there, so that you can put up your questions and things you want to hear in the podcast, or questions about things you've heard in the past. So again, Invite a few friends for us. Let's grow this group. We're not doing this for the money. We're doing it for the love of the sport so we can get more people involved. Thanks so much for listening. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. So I figured we'd talk about your major obedience command that is kind of like your power command and that would be your sit command you're basically having the dog sit and not move now i also as most do in training added the stay command when i was new to new to dog training and it doesn't make sense if you think about it if you tell a dog to sit they need to sit and not move it's a stationary command it is a command that needs to be followed and if the dog does move you're going to nick them or give them a correction with the collar. So there's two functions on your on your collar. You have the nick, which is a momentary, and you have your constant, which is your uh, stimulus, where it's just going to go for five seconds if you hold the button down or go until you let the button go. You're going to use a nick command with sit, and if the dog moves at all, you're going to say sit, and you're going to touch the button at the same time. So it'd be sit, correction. Then, keeping with the fact that you have to use a lot of positivity in your training while the dog is sitting, you're going to tell the dog, good dog, sit, good, sit, sit, good dog, sit, good. Continue telling the dog and reassuring the dog that they're doing what you want when they haven't moved, even though they are still doing it, so that you can use that positive reinforcement and it lets the dog make a choice between being corrected or being praised. So again, Get your dog to sit, have them stay there until you release them. You're going to need a release command. I use the word okay. You can use any word you would like, but use a consistent release command 
and impress upon the dog that sit actually means sit. I hope that helps. Stay tuned for our hunting tip after this. It's going to be when to call at ducks. All that and more coming up next. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. When you're duck hunting, everyone has been out in the marsh. When you hear someone that just screams at the ducks constantly. I think part of that is television, where you're dubbing in call sounds occasionally to show off your sponsor's call. And you are also using the call more liberally at times when you have callers that are competition callers that work for some of these companies. What I have found is that if a bird is coming in and they get within 100 yards, I completely shut down my calling. I do not call. When they are flying at a uh, sideways to you or on an angle away or an angle maybe across you, I will call. And if they're flying away, I guess I don't want to say I don't call, but I generally don't. But it all, all depends on what happened. If I have a bird that completely buzzes me and they looked at my decoys and they are just hauling butt and I don't think that they had an issue, like they, they didn't flare, I will give them a hard call and try to turn them. And that has worked several times. But ultimately, I think overcalling is something that all of us has done at a time. You have these new calls. They're great. They're fancy. You want to get out there and really feel like you're doing something. When in essence, a lot of times we have birds that maybe don't commit because they're not sure. And then you overcall and you actually create more discomfort at the bird and they leave. So again, if they're flying where their wings are perpendicular to you, so they're going across your face, I would call if they're coming straight at me once they get uh, to within 100 yards, I actually stop calling. If they're flying away from me, all depends on the situation. And if they're angling away or angling toward me, I will give them a call. So I hope that helps when you guys are getting out there and you are hitting the field. Please tell your friends about Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. We want this to grow. We want it to be about hunting, hunting with dogs, and enjoying what we all love being in the field with our dogs on great hunts. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. God bless. Sporting dog adventures run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.